It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, why aren't my prayers being answered? Coming up in this episode... While prayer is one of the most powerful and life-changing tools any Christian can have, it is by far the most abused and misunderstood. If God does not answer all prayers, could mine be left out? What prayers should I be praying and what prayers should I be avoiding? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. I'm grateful to be with you both. And Julie is also with us. Hi, gentlemen. Uh, Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We always say that prayer changes things, and it does. Jesus was emphatic about prayer and and even gave an example of how to pray in what is known as the Lord's Prayer. With prayer, as with many parts of Christian doctrine, the core value of what the Bible teaches easily gets lost in the interpretive value of our own human perspective. Because of the imperfect human part of the equation, we create many questions. What about those circumstances where someone prays for what they need and they simply don't get it? Is the problem that God's not listening or that he doesn't want them to have what they need? Is the problem that this person is not praying appropriately? So how does prayer really work? Let's get right into it. Does God hear and answer everyone's prayers? And since we're all God's children, aren't we entitled to have God hear our prayer? All right, that's a good place to start. If prayer were an entitlement, then everyone would have an equal opportunity and privilege to pray. The Bible, though, seems to tell us otherwise. First, It seems as though we are to have the correct perspective about God and about ourselves. We know this from Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with a contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So what we have is God dwells in this high place, and he is with the contrite and lowly of spirit. So you've got a sense of here's where you need to be to be able to be with God. Second, we need to be actively seeking righteousness, God's righteousness, and not worldly rights. We know this from Proverbs chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, But the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. So does this all mean that everyone who prays is not on equal footing before God? Since we're all sinful, what is going to distinguish the wicked from the upright? Well, and and this is an important point, because it does mean we're not all on an equal footing before God. So we need to put this in further perspective. There is a difference between people. So let's go a little further with Scripture, Proverbs 15, 28 and 29. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, 
but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Well, being a nice person doesn't guarantee your prayers are heard, right? You need to be on the road moving towards righteousness to be heard by God. So this is an important aspect of this whole thing. God is high and lofty. We are small. We need to be seeking God, and as though in such seeking, our prayers can, in fact, be heard. But if we're not truly seeking God, not just being good, but seeking God, there's a, there, be, there, there develops a disconnect here. So now we've got to go a little further with this. We're talking about the fact that we're, you know, we're not righteous. So, so how do we come right, become righteous if we're coming from a sinful background? I mean, you, do you just wave a wand and suddenly everything's great? Is it possible to become righteous if you're com- becoming from a sinful background? Let's look at Romans chapter 3. We'll start with verse 10, then we'll drop down to a few verses a little bit later. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Okay, and that's from Psalm 14.3. This can be depressing. Okay, nobody's righteous. Not one of you. Didn't we just hear the prayer? God is with the prayers of the righteous. Exactly. <laughs> is that a contradiction or yeah, what? It's that like, was my question. Okay. If we're all wicked, who, who gets to be righteous? Well, and, and that's why we need the sacrifice of Jesus, because that, it's not how good I am. It's how covered I am by the sacrifice of Jesus. We go in Romans 3 now, go down to verses 24 and 25, and it fills in the gaps. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So this is showing us the equation that being justified is a gift through the redemption that comes from Jesus. That's where we get the righteousness. It doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus. That's how we can go before God. So it has to be more than you're just a good person. You can be good without God. You know, I think of some of my atheist friends. They're good, caring, law-abiding people. But I think of also those sincere, upright Jewish people who earnestly devote their lives to God and prayer. Are you saying that as a first gate to get through, God only hears the prayers of the Christian? See, now that's a really good question, because you're saying these people who are God, what we always call God's chosen people, are we saying they're locked out of prayer? And the answer is no. Why? Why would there be an exception? Because they are part of God's chosen people. And we know that God is still with the Jewish nation. So God has favor for them because he's given them his law that was to be used on earth. So they do have a way to be in communication and, and w- with the Holy Father, and that's encouraging. But outside of that, the rest of us, we need Jesus. So it is important to realize that, yes, the Jewish people do have a connection with the Holy Father, unequivocally, and the rest of us, we need Jesus. That's really what Okay, it, but there's yeah. sincere Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims. Does God hear their prayers even though they're not directly praying to Jehovah God through Jesus? Well, Buddhists don't believe in a divine being, so they wouldn't be praying as we know it. Hindus pray to multiple deities, none of which have anything to do with Jehovah God. And Muslims pray to Allah, not Jehovah. I see it this way. If I call Rick, I can't expect to talk to Julie. I have to dial 1-800-ONLY-GOD in order to get in touch with him. So answerable prayer is based on faith in God. 
Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Answerable prayer is based on faith in God. So you, we want to be dialing God's number and not some deity's number, not some idol's number, not some tradition's number, not some emotion's number, but the number of holy God which comes through the righteousness of Jesus for those of us who are not, not Jews and, and, and we're Christians. So there's, there's a lot to this. There's a lot to this prayer equation. See, this journey— we're talking about faith and, and, and righteousness and all that. This journey that usually begin is a journey that usually begins with, with appreciation of God and of Christ. This is where it begins. And then has the ability to grow into a vibrant faith in God and in Jesus and his sacrifice. An example, a scriptural example of one trying out this journey is the account of the rich young ruler. Remember him, very, very devout young man in Jesus' time. He had just told Jesus that he had been faithfully keeping the law, and he meant it. He, his heart was in keeping the law. We're going to drop into this account in Mark chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Well, this young man had great appreciation for the words of Jesus, but did not have the faith to follow him and leave his possessions behind. And that was the key to this account. And in this account, it said Jesus loved him. He saw that he was sincere, but he also saw he, saw he was too attached, and he didn't have the ability to leave those things behind to follow Jesus. He didn't have faith in Jesus. He loved the law, he kept the law, and he was blessed as, as a result, but he wasn't ready to follow Jesus in, in his footsteps. So when we look at this, and we look at the, the, the development of prayer, the closer we get to real, true, honest-to-goodness faith, the more God is apt to hear our prayers. So that would apply to the Jewish people if they are being faithful Absolutely. to whatever their calling was, to Christians who are being faithful to Jesus. Yes, yeah, and, I, and again, I'm glad you brought that part in because they are God's chosen people. We don't want to leave them out of this equation, but frankly, most of us do not have that Jewish heritage or that Jewish faith. So we need Jesus, and we know that in, in God's plan, God will bless everyone through Jesus eventually anyway. So that's, that's the end result of all of this. So as we look at this, we see that there are requirements for having our prayers heard. So Jonathan, we want to have a proper prayer perspective. What do we have so far? God is selective when it comes to those he will focus on and bless. We need to be seeking him as our true God for him to see us through the clouds of sin that surround our lives. The degree of our sincerity towards God directly determines our accessibility to him. Let's not forget about that important part. The degree of our sincerity determines our accessibility, and especially we have to be going through Christ, but we have to be sincere in this approach. So prayer is not like some benefit you get when you join a club. Instead, we have to grow into its privilege. Can our prayers actually affect change in someone else's life? If so, can we alter God's will for them? For a Christian, the most important thing should always be not to change God's will in any way, but to unequivocally further His will with all of our hearts. While this may sound like an easy Christian common sense kind of thing, it often runs into problems when it comes to our praying 
for what we want. So we have to be focused in and make sure that our motivation really is key in not changing God's will, but following it instead. So we want to excerpt a few passages from an excellent sermon called Drawing Lines that I'd heard from one of the pastors at my uh, local church, Joe Megas. He explained how much of our Christian lives are spent learning where to draw lines between truth and error, between righteousness and sin, so that we make the right decisions and pray for the right things. So this discussion turned how to God draws lines for us that have to do with his will beyond just the black and white of what's acceptable or not acceptable. So here, Joe starts us off in the discussion about the express will of God. The express will of God is like a line down the center of a roadway, and it applies to all of us. We are all to stay on that line and not deviate off of that line to the right or the left. God's will, as represented by that line, is expressly stated in the scriptures, hence the name Express Will of God. Among the many examples of the Express Will of God are Paul's words in Romans 12, 14, and 17, Bless them which persecute you. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. In 1 Peter 4:15, we read, Let none of you suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. And lastly, from the Apostle John in 1 John 5:21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And there are, of course, many more examples of the express will of God. So pretty simple, black and white. These are the things we have to do or not do. And it's going to get a little more complicated in our next segment. Yeah, it always gets a little more complicated before it gets a little simpler. And here, here's the thing. We, we do believe that prayer can affect change, not only in ourselves, but in others as well. Now, this is a journey to get to this. One often neglected partner of prayer is action. As we look at some prayer examples in this segment, focus on the theme that combining fervent action and fervent prayer can bring focused change. That's our theme this segment. Combining fervent action and fervent prayer can bring focused change. Jonathan, let's start with Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So ask, seek, and knock. Prayer needs action. And we can't forget the action part of that. Prayer needs us to live what we're praying. Prayer would be empty, not only without action, but without the faith that necessarily drives it. Faith brings us to prayer, and action carries that prayer through. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So here's an important question. When we pray for others, is it to benefit them or us? Because some that I've asked this question of, they say, well, this prayer is for you. You become more sympathetic by nicely thinking of this person and talking to God about it. Maybe it'll move you to send a card or call them with encouragement. And because we pray for each other, we all feel closer together and closer to God by talking to him. But others say that person you're praying for directly benefits from your prayer. They might receive a special blessing from God because you asked him, which leads to the question, if I don't pray for that person, does God not give them everything that they need? Is everyone I know dependent on my petitions somehow for their blessing? Because if so, my prayer list has to get a lot longer <laughs> than it is right now. Okay, that, that's a that's a, there's a... 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot to that question. And, and we're going to unfold that question as we go through this segment. But just to, to get a start, I really do believe that, as the Scripture will say, we'll, we'll touch on the Scripture at the end of the segment, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person does avail much. So I do believe that prayers actually affect differences in others' lives. Now, how that works, that's a different story. We have to unfold some things to get there. So there's the basic answer, and let's unfold it from there. Let's look at some examples of Jesus' prayers and actions for others. Because if you want to look at the best example of praying, let's go to Jesus. We've got a couple of examples. First, this example, Jesus expressed to Peter that he had already prayed for him as he knew Peter would be tested. This is a very important aspect of Jesus' prayer life being shown to us very clearly in Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am already both to go to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Well, Jesus was saying, my prayer is protecting you. Prayer is part of God's arsenal to keep us safe. And, and this is very important because Jesus said, it's okay, I've prayed for you. I know you're going to stumble, but I've already prayed for you. Even though Jesus knew of Peter's coming faithfulness. Now, he knew he would be faithful because Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus proclaimed that Peter had, quote, the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16, 19. Even though he knew that, it did not change the way Jesus brought Peter before the throne of grace. Peter would need grace and humility, and Jesus asked for him. God rewarded Jesus' prayer, and he rewarded Peter. So this prayer would be a powerful part of Peter's future, because even though he would fail by denying the Lord three times, ultimately Peter would stand strong and would be able to strengthen the other disciples, including us now, because he's a huge influence on our walk. So Jesus prayed that victory would be achieved after tragedy. He wasn't praying this for his own benefit. So clearly this is for Peter as stated, but what if Jesus hadn't prayed for Peter? Would Peter not have been victorious in the end? So that's an, uh, you're asking a lot of really good questions. These are the questions we all want to know. Yeah, and, and, and this is a question I think that we need to be careful about asking because it's one of those rhetorical questions that, well, what if? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't know how not to pray. He was so connected to his Father on all things that to say, well, what if Jesus didn't pray for Peter? That is not a possibility because that's who Jesus was. That's what his faithfulness expressed. It's like saying, well, what if Jesus didn't heal people? Well, but he did because he was driven to by God's Spirit, and I believe he was driven to by God's Spirit to pray here as well. So to ask that question, it's a, it's a good question to ask, but let's realize that prayer, along with the rest of Jesus' life, were all integral parts of faithful Jesus. That's what this boils down to. So, when, go ahead. When God's Spirit, Rick, uh, puts on our heart and mind to pray for someone, we need to take on that responsibility, keeping the interconnectedness of the brotherhood active on every level. God's Spirit drives us to pray for others. There is a heavenly connection between me and you. It works through God's Spirit to help us, to bless us, and encourage us. You know, Jesus gives us this example. 
And when we're in a Bible study or sharing experiences and testimony, we should stop and offer prayer for someone who asks for prayers either for themselves or on behalf of others. So it sounds like prayer is not just like a line between me and you. It's actually more like kind of like a flattened triangle where you and I are on that baseline, but we pray by connecting through Jesus to God's Holy Spirit, his power and influence. And that's how we're connected. And and that's a big part of understanding how prayers for one another actually work. And we're going to develop this further uh, in, the, in the next segment. But yeah, Julie, that, that is a very good picture. We, our prayer, my prayer toward to you or to Jonathan or vice versa is not a direct line. It goes by God's grace and spirit to God, and then he delivers why and how? Well, we're going to try and, and, and lay that out further. Let's, let's do a, a second example of Jesus' prayers. Jesus prayed for all his disciples. In the first example, he prayed just for Peter. But in the second example, he prayed for all his disciples while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion. And of course, this is John chapter 17, this incredible prayer of Jesus on behalf of not just those who were with him, but all of us as well. So we're going to just read some selected verses, John 17, 15, 17 to 18, and then 20 to 21. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I I love this verse. Is God going to sanctify them? Well, yes. Well, why? Because Jesus prayed. So therefore, his prayer did change things because his faithfulness changed things. And he couldn't have been faithful without prayer just like he couldn't have been faithful without obedience. He couldn't have been faithful without following the law. All these things had to be present in his faithfulness. Exactly. So we don't want to try and separate prayer out from the rest of a faithful Christian life. It's all part of the same thing. And prayer is actually an action that drives us toward being completely faithful. So it's a requirement, just like self-sacrifice is a requirement. Prayer is a required action on our part. Jesus asks for God to care for his disciples as, as he's leaving them. Wouldn't God have done it anyway? Well, look, think about it this way. Jesus' prayer for them was fulfilling God's will. It was God's will for Jesus to pray for them because that's what needed to happen. And we know Jesus always did what needed to be done. God answered Jesus' faithfulness. We should also ask on behalf of others, for that is also God's will. By bending our will and prayers to God's will, we begin to learn how to live what we pray. And one more quick example I found of prayers actually benefiting the one that you are praying for. Uh, The Apostle Paul writing to Philemon in Philemon 22 Paul expected to see Philemon in the church of the Colossians again, and it says, At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Yeah, again, through your prayers I will be given to you. You have a tremendous connection. How does it work? We're going to develop that very, very, very shortly. Another example. We've got two examples from Jesus. Now this is an example from Daniel, Old Testament Daniel, the faithful one. Daniel was in Babylon for decades. 
And during those decades, he prayed for the return of Israel to their home and for the restoration of Jerusalem. So, Jonathan, let's drop in on one of Daniel's prayers in Daniel 9, verses 17 to 19. So now, our God, listen to your prayer of your servant and to his supplications, and for your sake. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Well, Rick, could God have delivered Israel without Daniel's prayer? It's a similar question to what we were asking about Jesus. But remember, remember here, it was Daniel's faithfulness that was the catalyst for Israel's release from their 70-year captivity. God's providence waited for Daniel's faithfulness and prayers to release them. So those prayers were important. Daniel lived what he prayed. All right, so obviously Daniel didn't start praying in year 69, month 10 (laughs) of the 70 years of captivity. He kept living faithfully and praying his whole life, and he would have done so even if he never saw freedom in his lifetime. Do you think that God was just waiting for the right king to be in place? Like, why did it take so long to have that prayer answered? Well, first of all, it was a prophecy from beforehand, 70 years of captivity. So you have a number that God knew would be the fulfillment of this particular period of punishment. So the people were already basically, the the, the pieces were beginning to be put in place, and Daniel was the centerpiece of all of this. So you see all of this happening. So why did it take so long? Because that was God's timing. It's that simple. It was in God's time frame that it happened. Daniel was the faithful conduit of God's will, and therefore his prayers were answered, as were his actions. Why? Because Daniel was God's chosen one. God knew he would stand up and do the things he needed to do, like Peter, like Paul, like James, like all, like, like Ezekiel, like Isaiah. He was that person in that place, in that role. And yes, the prayers were a part of his faithfulness. Therefore, the prayers were necessary because his faithfulness was necessary. We can't separate them. Okay, so if Daniel, I guess this is going to be that rhetorical question, if Daniel hadn't prayed for Israel, would they still be in captivity? That's not the right question to answer, right. to ask, excuse me, because it's it's rhetorical. And if God was going to do it anyway, what would have been the point of Daniel praying? And And again, God was going to do it because he put Daniel in place. You know, we like to try to take things apart so we can say, aha, there's a flaw in this. There That's really, right. There really isn't. It is God's will unfolding, using individuals along the way, the way he sees fit. And it's a beautiful harmony that oftentimes we lose. So if Daniel hadn't been praying and hadn't been faithful, Daniel wouldn't have been the one exactly. to, help, to, live, to end that 70 years. A different prophet would have been risen e- up. Exactly. Precisely. Okay. okay let, let, let's move forward now. The partnership of prayer and action are aptly shown Another example, James 5, 13 to 18. These verses show us the need for true faith over appreciation. Remember, we were comparing the two before. And are focused on spiritual sickness, not physical sickness. James 5, 13 to 18. Spiritual sickness, not physical illness. We're going to start with James 5, 13 and 14. Go ahead, Jonathan. Is anyone among you suffering, which means to undergo hardship? 
then he must pray. So faith requires hardship and prayer to be two interlocking pieces of a true Christian's experience. But this is basically saying there is hardship. We're going to have it. There's lots of scriptures that tell us that. Prayer needs to accompany hardship. That's what James begins. And again, suffering, undergoing hardship, not physical sickness. James 5 now, uh, the last part of verse 13, and then verse 14. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? And Rick, that word sick means to be feeble. Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we should ask for strength, not miracles. Action and prayer are companions. So what about people who aren't in a church or within their church environment? They aren't seeing much of this scripturally based connectivity that we're hearing about that's so important. Well, I think if you're in an environment where you're not seeing the scripturally based approach to prayer, and we are going to discuss that later on in the podcast as well, but if you're not seeing it, you need to start looking for some place where you can find it. Because it's so important to pray appropriately before God our Father, because He is the Almighty Creator of all things. And we've been speaking of actions. We recently had a listener named Evan message us from the Christian Questions app, which is free in your app store. And he asked if it was a sin to pray while doing other things like eating, playing games, and normal daily activities if we pray with our eyes open and while still doing that activity? Interesting question. So Romans 12, 12 tells us to be instant in prayer, which in the Greek means constantly diligent and in a state of readiness. So Rick and Jonathan, are there rules to prayer? Do we have certain body positions or hand placements or words spoken? Do all the prayers have to end in Jesus's name? And if so, why didn't Jesus himself end the model prayer in my name? And <laughs> Julie, you're asking a lot of questions, and this is a, a short podcast. So, <laughs> so when we look at, at all of those things, it's really important to realize that prayer, even if it is during the day, while you're in the process of doing all kinds of other things, there's still a sacredness to it that we don't ever want to lose. And I will tell you, my personal experience, if, uh, I, I try and pray throughout the day all the time. And there are many times I'm working, sitting at my desk working, and I get up and I go to the window and just take a moment. And then I go back and sit down and start again. And then sometimes while I'm working or I'm working on Christian questions, it's just a, a, a consciousness to check in with the Almighty Father from whom I want guidance. I don't want to do it my way. I want to do it His way. It needs to be sacred. So if you're doing it in a flippant way, no, that is not appropriate. We never approach God with, with, uh, with, with fun. All right, we approach him because he is our creator and we are subservient and loyal to his will no matter what. So it is okay during the day. Pray without ceasing. That's what it means to have these, this, this, this attitude of prayer always with you. But please be sure it has that sobriety that's so important because this is the Father we're talking to and we do want to be talking to him through Jesus. And even if you don't say those words, that has to be in your heart. So, Jonathan, let's, let's wrap this up. A proper prayer perspective based on the things that we looked at in this segment. Prayer is generally not a standalone event for it, is, for it to be effective. It needs to uh, have true faith and is not just appreciation behind it. 
Prayer also needs to be offered in the context of the actions of our lives as these two activities solidify the depth of our faith and therefore the viability of our prayers. Yeah. Now, do you, do you remember uh, James uh, when he said faith without works is dead? How about this? Prayer without action is not complete. Yeah, we need to live what we are praying to the very best of our ability. So if we want God to answer our prayers, we need to treat prayer much more reverently than just asking for a favor. What do hearable and answerable prayers look like? Do they have specific ingredients or a specific process? The very thought of our prayers being heard by God, the creator of all things, should cause us to pause and consider his loftiness and compare it to our tiny little lives. With this contrast in mind, we should absolutely expect that this communication called prayer would follow some very specific guidelines. We need to be keyed into the fact that there are guidelines, as we just began to mention in the last segment, that we we want to adhere to because we want to honor God in these prayers that we're offering. So let's drop back in on our sermon by Joe Migas called Drawing Lines. You know, remember he explained that there are certain things in God's express will to us and any deviation to the left or the right is unacceptable. But now he's going to explain the permissive will of God that applies to all of us to help us pray correctly. The other part of this illustration is called the permissive will of God. The permissive will of God is not expressly stated in the scriptures. In the permissive will of God, we have some leeway to choose our actions and make decisions within boundaries that are broader than the express will of God. And so, in our illustration, the permissive will of God is drawn as the shoulder markings on each side of a roadway. We can move to the left or to the right as long as we stay within these outer lines so that we don't go off the roadway. Everything within these two lines is in accordance with God's permissive will. Anything beyond these lines on either side is not in accordance with God's permissive will and therefore unacceptable. Now, while the express will of God clearly stated in the scriptures applies to all of us uniformly, the permissive will of God is more individual. It is part of God's training and shaping and molding each of us individually into copies of his dear son. So I love this because it's so easy to picture this roadway and where we can stay within and how big the roadway should be. So examples of important actions, decisions, and choices each of us is given to make within the boundaries of this permissive will of God are things like, should I go to college or not? Should I get married or have children? Should I take this job, that job? How should I spend my free time? In an episode 1167 called, Can Good Things Ever Be Bad?, We provided a decision tree to help each of us make sure we're using our spare time wisely in order to maintain spiritual excellence, because it's important that we all personally strive to stay within the lines of that roadway. So we're focusing on hearable and answerable prayers here. This is really what our focus for this segment is on. So, so Jonathan, let's start this based on those things we heard from from Joe Migas with James 5, verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who was sick, and that word sick means to toil or to tire. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. 
And remember, this isn't talking about a physical sickness. We don't think that praying for physical healing is appropriate. And for the scriptural reasoning on this, just type in 1037, episode 1037, is Christianity a healing religion? And you can search that on our website or app. And again, it comes down to trying to do things scripturally, because that's where righteousness through Christ comes from. It's got to be scripturally based. So based on this scripture about the prayer offered in faith, hearable and answerable prayers are prayers of faith that seek to restore a disciple whose life has turned toward sin. And our actions verify the sincerity of these prayers. So this tells me that our prayers do affect other people, and they're not just for the benefit of ourselves. But where's the action part of this? So if I'm praying for you, maybe I move forward to call or send an email, but is that enough? And is it a requirement that I always tell you that I'm praying for you? You know, we don't want this to become like a checklist of what I have to do to make every prayer count. And I'm sorry I keep asking these questions, but <laughs> well, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm praying right. Well, and, and, and that, that's appropriate. Uh, the thing that we need to remember here is that, no, prayer doesn't is not built to be a checklist, but it's built to be a sincere extension of what we truly would like to see happen. So so if, if I am, Jonathan, if you're going through a trial and a difficulty and you share that with me, and if I am praying for you, it should not be just, oh, and by the way, Lord, I know Jonathan's having a trial, just go, go take care of him. And then I go and do whatever I do and forget about him entirely. The action has to be my my care for him. And it may be that extra phone call or that little text. You know what? And you can send a little text with the little praying hands, and that says something. It's making sure that we're living what we're asking. Because that's where the sincerity shows. It shows in, does this mean something to me outside of the 30 seconds it took to put that individual before God? It doesn't mean something. That's what we mean by action. So, so let, let's go a little bit further now. The result of the prayers, another example, result of the prayers of Cornelius, the centurion. Now, he was the first Gentile uh, uh, convert to Christianity. It's interesting what happened with his prayers before his conversion. We look at this in Acts chapter 10, verses 2 to 4. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So you have Cornelius outside of the favor of God, praying continually. And then finally, when it came time, an angel appears to him with an answer. So you see that he's praying, and God, it says, his prayers went up as a memorial. God was waiting. So hearable and answerable prayers are prayers that are offered in sincerity and sometimes require a waiting period before being answered. And waiting doesn't automatically mean no, but it does mean it's just not God's time. But this might be the hardest part of prayer, you know, not knowing if it's being heard or not, or if we're just waiting for the right timing and God's providence. The point is, Cornelius had no idea what would happen, but he was faithful anyway. And we talked about Daniel not knowing if that captivity would end, but he was faithful anyway. So we still have to live faithful lives to the best of our ability and continue praying with sincere, honest motivation we might not be delivered from a hard experience, but whatever happens or doesn't happen, if we're faithfully following in the footsteps of Jesus, we can trust the experience and its waiting period 
is for our highest spiritual welfare. And that's the thing. Waiting is not just twiddling your thumbs and saying, well, I wonder if God's forgotten about me. It's being efficient and sincere in that. And we look at many examples in Scripture that show this, not just uh, Cornelius, but you look at Daniel, look at Nehemiah. Lots of individuals had that long wait and didn't know what was going to be the result. Let's change gears now as we look at hearable and answerable prayers, and let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And this is from the Weymouth Version. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what prayers to offer, nor in what way to offer them. But the Spirit itself pleads for us in yearnings that can find no words. And Rick, sometimes there's just heartbreak or being overcome with emotion when we can't find the words in our prayer. And, you know, there's, you're right, the emotion, especially when we're dealing with something difficult in our own lives, there's sometimes you just don't know what to pray for. But it also applies when we pray for others. We may not know. All I know, Jonathan, is the look on your face one day was such that he's troubled, Lord, and he's really troubled. And I, I know it because I know him, and I, I, I don't, I don't, how do I, I, I don't know what to do. And you put that before the Lord and let God's Spirit fill in the gaps. If our heart is truly in the prayer, God's Spirit fills in the gaps. And this is a powerful part of understanding how strong prayers really, truly are. So with this aspect of God's Spirit working, hearable and answerable prayers are prayers that are offered, sometimes in exasperation, and sincerity as we struggle to sort out our trials and our emotions. And with God's Spirit advocating, our actions verify the sincerity of these prayers. And I have a quote from a British poet and hymn writer, James Montgomery, in the year 1818. He said, prayer is the soul's sincere desire uttered or unexpressed. And our prayer should come from a heart overflowing with gratitude and an overwhelming desire to be in harmony with our Heavenly Father. But when our circumstances are desperate, it gets difficult. Like, why is my child's cancer not being cured? Why is my loved one on life support? I'm a good person. Why aren't my prayers being answered? How does God's Spirit fit into this? Well, God's Spirit fits into this by helping us to pray for God's will, not for what I want. And look, as harsh as it seems, sometimes God's will is suffering is necessary for you right now. The loss of a loved one is necessary for you right now. And you say, why would God do that? Because that's not the end. Because Jesus died for them and for everyone else. And that's part of the experiences of sin in the world. And that's we are promised as Christians to suffer with them. So sometimes the answer is, yes, my son or my daughter, you must suffer through this. So you can learn, so you can teach others in the future. So that's how God's Spirit fits in. It's helping us to focus it in on what God's will truly is. That's the key here. Let's go to another scripture that helps us to understand hearable and answerable prayers, Colossians 1, verses 8 to 10. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Rick, Paul took action to write out his prayer for the Colossians. This is actively living in prayer. Yeah, he's laying it out. He's laying it out. He's telling them all the things he's praying for for them, and it's for their benefit. Make no mistake about that. 
So hearable and answerable prayers are prayers for the brother for for the highest spiritual maturity of the brotherhood. And our actions verify the sincerity of these prayers. And we're not trying to change God's mind with our prayers, but to support his providence working in our lives. Is that right? And that's exactly right. And by praying with God's spirit, it is a, the best way, obviously, to support his providence because his spirit is working with us. It advocates for us. That's what Jesus said it would do. It, it, it helps us to be focused on the right things, and that's God's will. So we can pray for others, and we can do it by God's spirit so we can connect to them through God's spirit because we pray through God's spirit to God, and then God's spirit from God goes back to them to give the answer. I think that's where the big connection comes into play. Another example, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So hearable and answerable prayers. Jesus is giving commands here. These are the express will of God right here. You have to do these things. These hearable and answerable prayers here are prayers that truly want the goodness of God's grace to, to go to the lives of those who are our enemies. Uh, our actions verify the sincerity of these prayers, but <laughs> there's a corresponding action for this one, too. You know, just praying for our enemies is hard enough, but now we've got to actively do good for them. Yes. This is hard for everybody. And it's definitely worth listening to episode 1015, Condemned to Death, How Did Jesus Love His Enemies? Because if he could do it, ugh, we can we, we can try we really, can try. really hard to do it, too. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. We can try. If he can do it, we can try. And right. this is the level that our prayers should aspire to. Another quick example, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. See, Paul asks very specifically for the prayers of the brethren for certain things. Hearable and answerable prayers are prayers that seek God's will to spread and that God will be glorified in the spreading of his word. And our actions verify the sincerity of these prayers, especially when spreading the gospel. So I'm getting the sense that we shouldn't expect whimsical prayers to be taken seriously, like, God, please let my sports team win the big game. Or, you know, you hear all those bargaining prayers. I'll go to church every Sunday if only I can win the lottery this week. That's not what that's not what's going to be. Yeah. Effective. No, no, not even remotely close. And, and it's a sad thing that that even has to be brought up. So uh, we want to understand that. Another example, I know there's a lot of examples here, folks, because there's a lot of aspects to prayer. Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So pray for us. We want to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Hearable and answerable prayers are prayers that will help us build powerfully on the godly foundation that we have been given. And I know, Julie, I know what you're going to say now. <laughs> Our actions verify the sincerity of these prayers, and your prayer is not as sincere as saying it and leaving it as saying it and living it. And that's the point. The point is we need to live the prayer that we offer. Last example here, James 4, 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, 
if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So while this is not an example of a prayer, it's an example of a prayer attitude. So the hearable and answerable prayer attitude here is that uh, these prayers are prayers that clearly seek first God's will and then are willing to follow God's providence only. So Julie, what do you have to say to that? (laughs) Our actions verify the sincerity of these prayers. And I find it interesting when people testify, God answered my prayers only when the answer was positive to them. You know, sometimes the answer is an even more difficult experience. And we rarely pray, well, thank you, Father, for not answering my prayer. Apparently, we're going to go in a different direction, and that's okay. So we aren't supposed to just be thankful only when it's convenient or it lines up with our wishes. We have to remember that. Yeah, so it, it comes down to God's will, not mine. And Jesus is the perfect perfect example of that. So Jonathan, wrapping up all of these hearable and answerable prayer examples, proper prayer perspective, what do we have? Our prayer life should have an ever-growing focus, not just on God's will, but on God's will, especially at the expense of our own will. Prayer is for the furtherance of God's plan and never for our convenience. Never for our convenience. Don't forget that. We don't just stumble into getting prayers answered. Instead, we need to intentionally seek God's will. If the Bible is so clear, why does the power and appropriate usage of prayer get so easily confused? (laughs) Yeah, that's a big question. Why would we be surprised at prayer being easily misunderstood and misrepresented? Because true prayer is communing with our most powerful and wise Heavenly Father. Its counterfeit has become a very profitable commodity being peddled as a way to happiness, as a way to ease, and as a way to health. None of which, none of which are promised to the Christian. We need to understand this very, very clearly. So let's finish up Joe Migas's thoughts on the will of God from his sermon about the lines of acceptability we draw and those lines that God draws for us. What about those questions we have specific to us where the Bible doesn't give us a personalized answer? There are no scriptures that expressly give each of us individually the answers to those questions in our own particular circumstances. However, there are many scriptural principles and precepts which guide our words and actions and help us determine where those outer lines are for each of us. And when we seek to discern God's permissive will for us through prayer and the study of his word, perhaps we do well to draw the lines close together, narrowly, because we are in the narrow way. The important understanding we should gain from this illustration is that God can shape us and train us and mold us into copies of Jesus as long as we seek to discern and stay in between the two lines that mark God's permissive will. I really like that. And he talked about the narrow way that reference is found in Matthew seven fourteen and Luke thirteen twenty four. So we want to put prayer in the perspective of realizing the importance of staying within the guidelines of what God gives us. And that's really what this entire conversation is about. So now let's look at some of the potential ways prayer can be misused. John 14, 13 is a good place to start. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How easily this scripture and others can be interpreted to mean we're given a blank check from God. 
Just ask whatever you will in my name and it will be done. And boy, do we take that and run down the wrong road fast and furious and we all crash and burn at the end except for the few that make the money off of those who are trying to do it. And I'm sorry to be blunt, but that's what ends up happening. It is a godless activity. A good example of this is the prayer of Jabez. Now, Jabez is an obscure, known in the Bible just very, very briefly. The prayer of his prayer is an obscure two verses in the Bible that some point to as giving a broad definition of getting what we want as long as we're honorable. His brief history is dropped into the genealogy of Judah. So we're going to go to 1 Chronicles 4, 9 to 10, and just take a quick look at this. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother named him Jabez, saying, because I bore him with pain. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. So he puts a prayer before God, and God says, Sure. And it sounds so simple and so easy. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's get a little bit of general context for this from the commentary from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. His prayer seems to have been uttered when he was entering on an important or critical service for the successful execution of which he placed confidence neither on his own nor his people's prowess, but looked anxiously for the aid and blessing of God. One of the things we need to remember is in the Old Testament, it was a very physical world in relation to God's blessing. God's blessings were very physical. And the increase of borders, there's, there's speculation by different commentaries as to what that could actually mean. One commentator, and I'm not sure about the validity of this, but suggests there were, and at this time it is true, there were uh, border skirmishes with the Canaanites. And perhaps, perhaps, perhaps he was involved in one of those things, knowing that God had said, this land will be yours. And he's saying, Lord, I'm serving you. Increase my borders. In other words, fulfill that which you have put in front of us. We don't know exactly what this was. It was a very physical period of time because it was all about the land of Israel. But this is not something that we can just take and arbitrarily apply to ourselves. So Jabez asked God to enlarge his border, and rather than us praying for physical wealth, we may want to pray for an enlarged heart that's open and honest. And the Apostle Paul talked about having an enlarged heart towards the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, 11 and 13. And also there's a beautiful reference in Psalms 119, 32 about um, staying in his commandments and he, a prayer to enlarge our heart. And we also want to pray for an enlarged vision. Proverbs 28:18 is a good reference there. And the more we study the ways of Christ, we find new treasures and new reasons to stay faithful and press on. And we want to know more about the Bible and God's plan for mankind. And thirdly, I think we can pray for an enlarged scope of activity, an increased zeal and service in the Lord's work in spreading the gospel message. And some good quotes there would be Luke 16:10 and Luke 19, 24. You know, and just quickly praying for increased zeal. That doesn't mean you sit on your chair, sit in your couch and watch TV so God can zap you with increased zeal. Go. Let me guess, action? It <laughs> yes. requires action? Go do something. Go search out the opportunities. And so we take this prayer of Jabez on a very spiritual level, not a physical level. How would, how, how would we take this prayer of subservience and this, this humility and have the audacity to apply it to our own desires? Folks, it's a misrepresentation of Scripture. So inappropriate prayers can be built upon misrepresented Scriptures that bring us to egotistical conclusions. 
Strong language for strong misuse of prayer. Another example of misuse. James three, uh, James four, rather verses three and four. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So when 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 he's saying you ask and do not receive, because it's because your motives are wrong. You're you're praying for for the wrong things. And it's easy to go down those roads of rationalization, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's a shame that we allow ourselves to do that. And James is very, very, very specific here and very strong in his language. Inappropriate prayers can be easily and cunningly fueled by our own human desires, which bring us to standing against God and not for him. And that's exactly what James was warning Christians about way back then. And if it was happening way back then, imagine how much more it happens now in our time. Another example of inappropriate prayer. And this is, this is really going down the road, but we wanted to make it an example to show you that it, we're just, we have to be so careful. Uh, Julie, this is a, a quote from a, a written prayer from a specific group of Christians. Just give us, give us what we have here. Sure, and just a little behind the scenes for our listeners. I asked Jonathan to read this. He asked me to read this, and I lost. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So here's this prayer that we that we found from other Christians. Lord, release the wealth of the wicked into my hands. I claim, command, and seize my wealth now in the name of Jesus. All nations will call me blessed, and I will be a delightful land. My gates are continually open that the forces of wealth of the nations can come into my life. I am the righteous of Christ, and now is the time for the wealth that has been stored up for me to be released in the name of Jesus. Zoinks. <laughs> and we, we went over this kind of selfish and completely inappropriate prayer in episode 1188, Do I Have the Purpose of the Holy Spirit Backwards? You know, this kind of prayer goes by all kinds of catchy names like decree and declare, name it and claim it, confess it and possess it. It's just not the way things work. So search 1188 at christianquestions.com and on the CQ app to find out why. Well, let's put it in context where this attitude comes from. Job 22, verse 28, was spoken by one of Job's friends, Eliphaz. He lied, telling Job that God was punishing him for his sins and that Job was secretly wicked. His advice was that in order to get back on track, Job needed to delight in the Almighty, lift up thy face unto God, make thy prayer unto him, and then anything Job decreed, it should be established unto him. Well, God challenges Job in Job 38. Job is humbled, seeing the greatness of God, and repents, not of the evil living, but of his many doubts found in Job 42, 1 through 6. After this, we read in Job 42, 7, it came about after that, that the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, my wrath is kindled against you and against your friends, because you have spoken of me what is, trust, what is trustworthy, as my servant Job has. So God was angry. The text um, some so-called Christians used to say should declare and decree to God here and now for personal gain, that one from Job 22:28 was an example of what not to do. And here they use it 
as a way to gain wealth. Yeah, and that, that other podcast really goes into this in much more depth. The point is, it is a gross misapplication of Scripture again. Please, please don't go down this road. It is an insult to your own understanding of Scripture and an insult to the Almighty God to do that. Inappropriate prayers can be adopted into our thinking because we are taught by those who hypocritically represent God that these prayers are not only acceptable, but they are desirable. Not so for a Christian. Simply not so. So, folks, as we begin to wrap this up, we've talked about a lot in terms of looking at prayer and understanding prayer and what's hearable, what's answerable, and why aren't my prayers being answered, and all of these questions and the, and the connection of the Spirit and, and praying to God and, and, and having God's Spirit work with us so that God's Spirit essentially carries our prayer to God, and He can then deliver the answer through His Spirit to that other, other Christian who may be suffering. So there's a wonderful connection here, but we really want to get back to the prayer perspective questions that we start need to start asking ourselves. This is kind of like a like a homework assignment, if you will. So remember, the title of this episode is, Why Aren't My Prayers Being Answered? So if you find yourself asking this question, then ask, do I pray for my comfort or do I pray for God's plan to unfold in my life? Do I pray for God to provide uh, me with shortcuts in life or do I pray for God to show me how to cut my wishful thinking short? Do I pray for my family's convenience in their hardships, or do I pray for their connection to God and his will? Do I pray for things and experiences to bring me personal ease, or do I pray for the things and experiences in my life to provoke in me important personal growth? And finally, do I pray to give God my perspective to influence his decisions regarding me, or do I pray to be purely subject to his providence in my daily life? All right, so we went through those questions really fast, and you're saying, wait, 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 check out the show notes. They're written in there, and they're written here for the purpose of looking at it. If you're asking the question, why isn't God answering my prayers? Start with these questions, and then go back through the things that we discussed to put prayer in its proper place so we can organize and understand this and be godly in our approach to God. That's the key. It's to be godly in our approach to the Heavenly Father. Jonathan, one final scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is a beautiful, beautiful text. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, this verse is talking about going boldly to the throne of grace. Now, let me stress that this boldness is not a human, is not from a human perspective. It's not, it's not egotistically going to God, because that's what a lot of people seem to do. They go to God and they become God because they're telling God basically what, what they're demanding, what they're decreeing, what they're declaring. That's not true, real prayer. Prayer is being bound up in fulfilling the will of God in our lives. So, Jonathan, our final proper prayer perspective, what do we have? Even when our prayers are about the deepest needs or traumas in our lives or in the lives of those we care about, they always must put God's will first. To ask for guidance, presence, providence, and power is appropriate, 
as long as we ask with humility and conformity to his way. So, folks, what this really boils down to is we have a choice. We have a choice in how we're going to approach our prayer life. Are we going to approach it from a scriptural perspective through Jesus and with humility to seek God's will and his guidance in our lives, or are we going to tell God what we want? It's okay to tell God what you want, but always, always, always preface it with, it's your will that I'm looking for. Here's my preference, but your will makes my preference look like a big zero. I mean, honestly, that's how we should put this whole thing, and that's how we can learn to appropriately pray to our Father. Pray with appropriateness and watch for his answers. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, kind of a second part to the prayer discussion from today. Next week, am I fighting for or am I fighting against God? Am I fighting for or against God? Talk to you next week. <laughs>